I knew that accounting wasn't like my, my destiny. I knew that that wasn't my end goal in life is to be an accountant. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for joining me on the show. Welcome to Just Start Real Estate. If you're new here, I'm excited to have you. If you've been here before and you came back for more, then I'm excited to have you too. If you have not rated and reviewed the show, I would really love that if you'd go in and just give me a rating and review. That helps me out a ton, and I, it helps me also attract guests like my guest today, who I heard on Bigger Pockets and really thought, this guy is something I want to get him on my show. A young guy who's just done a ton, a ton, ton, ton over the last few years, uh, and I really wanted to be able to bring him to you and it's easier to attract guys like this and ladies like this if our show is just blowing it out of the water and rating and reviews are one of the ways we do that. So if you could do that, I really appreciate it. Guys, on today's show, I have someone who's a really is a legitimate social media celebrity. Like he's he's out there. Uh, he is huge, huge, huge on TikTok. He also has a very successful YouTube channel and he has bought in a, the first year of real estate, the very first year he was in real estate, he bought a staggering $1 million in real estate while only putting in $23,000 of his own money. He did it by leveraging credit to invest. And in the process, he accumulated almost 1 million in travel points, enabling him to see the world. His goal now is to teach others absolutely everything they need to know to live a free of financial struggle life, a life where you don't worry about finances. And by the way, he's almost got to 2 million in real estate now. And I think he's like 24 years old. If I remember right now, I asked him in the show, but he's like 24, 25, he's a young guy and he's just crushing it. And he's done all this in real estate and managed to build up his own personal brand, which only contributes and continues to help him in everything else he does. He was a ton of fun. He's a really, really good guy and a really smart guy. I am excited to bring you today, Daniel. Hey, Daniel, thanks for being on the show, man. I appreciate you doing this and I really appreciate your time. So thanks for being here. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. It's an honor. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I'm going to say right off the bat, I, I know uh, I've, I've been on your social and I've, I've seen and I heard you on Bigger Pockets and I know that you kind of went out and campaigned a little bit to be on that show. I understand why Bigger Pockets is awesome. I've been on there twice. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm really, I want to make sure that there's a day where maybe you campaign to be back on here. Like, that's my big thing. I'm super competitive. So when I hear somebody campaign to be on another show, I'm like, Oh, I want to campaign to be on my show, but I get it. Those guys are a behemoth in the industry. So, but good episode, man. I listened to it. Very compelling. And I'm like, I've got to get this guy on my show because you have a very cool story. Uh, we just talked a little bit prior to going on the mic and there's some, some really neat stuff you're doing that is different from anybody I've ever heard of. And I can't wait to dive into all that. So thanks again for doing this, man. I'm excited about it. Thanks for the kind words, Mike. I am so, so excited to be on here, and I definitely will try my best to, in the future, <laughs> plan some kind of campaign to convince you to get there me on a second Exactly, time. exactly. I want to make it so that you you go, wow, he made a joke about that, but crap, I have to get on that show. It's, it's huge. <laughs> um, but anyways, all seriousness, I, I want to talk about your story because it, it seems like, and tell me if I'm wrong, but it feels like you sort of have exploded out of 
virtually nowhere, but I know sometimes when that happens, it's like, hey, yeah, I'm a 10-year overnight or a five-year overnight you know, success where it seems like it accelerated fast recently, but that you've been at work at it for a long time. So, why don't we back up a little bit and, and before we get ahead of ourselves with all the cool things you're doing, and let's go back to prior to real estate, prior to being on TikTok and having that huge following in YouTube. What were you doing? doing and what did you want to do or is this always what you wanted to do like what was the plan for you and how did you get involved in all this so i graduated from university with my degrees in accounting and business administration and i always knew that i wanted to be uh, sort of entrepreneurial or have something to do with business where i would have a little bit more control uh, rather than just a w2 employee which yeah. i know that that's a great option for many people but sure. it didn't seem like the fit for me yeah. and I started out in real estate just by trying to learn as much as I could about business or entrepreneurship with no real focus on intentionally getting into real estate. I started by reading a bunch of books. I think my goal was 50 books in six months. I ended up getting there. But as I went through all those books, just learning what I could, uh, because I honestly didn't know much right out of college, um, I got a little bit more and more interested into real estate. And mostly it was some of the crazy statistics that I read, you know, like 90% of millionaires are made through real estate. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's a, that, that sounds like it should be me. Like, why not? Yeah. You know, if, if so much of the wealth is created through real estate, it just seemed like it's something that I had to give a solid try to. Yeah. So I spent as much time as I could educating myself about real estate and trying to um, understand what I needed to get started because I didn't have any experience in real estate prior to that. I didn't have any family members who were huge real estate moguls or realtors or, or even builders. Like I didn't know anyone in the space. So I basically did have to start from scratch just using what I learned through books and podcasts. So let me ask you from a, from like a young age, growing up your family, what, what, what kind of uh, industry were your parents in? Like, what was that, that um, house like growing up? Was it just a bunch of entrepreneurs, a bunch of Steve Jobs running around creating things? Or was it like more of like a regular nine to five kind of environment? Definitely a nine to five environment. So I'm an immigrant. I moved here to the US with my mom when I was five. Um, I didn't know any English when we first moved. And a uh, typical immigrant style, my mom pushed me really hard to go down the career path of, of getting my degree and then having a solid career W2 job to back me for the yeah. rest of my life. Yeah. So initially it started out with engineer and then I got my college course load and I was like, shoot, that's a lot of work. I probably need to find something else. So I went into business, <laughs> yeah. um, which, which is a much easier major. And then eventually I kind of like pushed myself to try a little bit harder and got into accounting, which actually did end up working out pretty well. I, I loved my accounting job until a couple months ago when I left and it was a great, great job. Oh, you just left a couple months ago. Yeah, I okay. left in... November was my last month. So December, I was officially full-time self-employed, um, just funding my life through real estate and then uh, social media as well. Nice. Well, congratulations, by the way. That's very, very new. So that's that's awesome. And again, people, you know, if you go and look look Daniel up and his social and all the things he's up to and, and the things he's done in real estate, you'd go, oh, this guy's been an entrepreneur forever. Like he's like, Seriously, like how long ago, where would you put your stake in the ground as like, okay, this is kind of when I got serious about building real estate, have, you know, having this following and like, when did you feel like you really like said, this is what I really want to do? Like, are we talking five years ago? Or are we talking months ago? 
really the transition did happen months ago. And I love what you said earlier about like the 10 year or five year overnight success, because it definitely wasn't instant. It did happen very quickly for me, but I had been in the real estate space for two years, which I know to some of the veterans listening to this, like that's not a long time. This kid is just starting, which is absolutely true. But I hope that it encourages some of the newer real estate investors who are potentially listening to understand that you really can change your life extremely quickly with real estate. It really is that powerful. But I have been doing this for about two years and it took that two years to be able to fully transition from my nine to five, which I definitely needed back then to being able to support my lifestyle with real estate, which allowed me to leave my nine to five and just double and triple down into social media which allowed me to expand it so quickly. So I actually got started on social media two years ago, making YouTube videos. They were terrible. They absolutely sucked. It took like 15, 20 hours a a week to, to make the content for them. And it was so, so bad because I couldn't devote enough time to like actually getting good at it. And it wasn't until I was able to leave my nine to five accounting job thanks to real estate, thanks to the cash flow I was receiving from my rental properties, that I could really put a solid effort into social media. That means hiring an editor, hiring an ad manager, hiring an assistant, and putting all of my 50, 60 hours a week into creating content and really learning what works in social media. Yeah. So it was this two-year journey where I had you know tons of failures and experience trying to like improve myself in. And then all of a sudden, this last November, I was able to leave. And then from there, it's just been kind of a snowball effect, allowing me to really rapidly grow. Can I ask you, because I think a lot of people struggle with this. They have a nine to five job and maybe they make a lot of money, maybe they don't. But what was your criteria or what was it that you, if anything, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what did you have, what had to happen for you to quit your nine to five? Was it a certain threshold of income what was it that, because I'll just say for me, just while you're thinking about your answer. So for me, I'm married. Uh, my wife is conservative. I'm very much a risk taker. I probably would have like just quit my job whenever, but you know, she's conservative. So the agreement was when I can put in the bank one year's salary. And so I, that gives me a one year runway to kind of make it work or not. That's when we both agreed it was, it was okay. Right. So at the time when I did that, I had kids and a mortgage and all this stuff. Right. So for you, what was it, if anything, maybe you just had a, you woke up with a, in a bad mood and quit your job. I don't know, but what was the criteria for leaving? I had a very similar experience, Mike. I'm like almost laughing internally because the same exact thing happened to me. My wife is extremely conservative. She's an incredible investor because she doesn't gamble on stocks or or Bitcoin or anything like that. (laughs) So she's really successful in investing. And she's been like my, uh, my rock in the real estate world, not trying to go overboard and, and risk something that really isn't worth it. But I am a lot more of a risk taker and I wanted to leave my accounting job as soon as possible because I knew the possibilities of social media, of TikTok, of YouTube, of just being able to have a platform and communicate to hundreds of thousands of people. But our criteria was that when my uh, social media income outpaced my accounting income, I would be able to quit because at that point I was spending 20 hours a week on social media and like 40 hours a week in accounting. And if I could do the same income with half the time, then it would justify me doubling my 
social or tripling my social media income because I'm tri- tripling my social media time from 20 hours to 60 hours to be able to make hopefully triple the amount of income. And that happened in November when I had um, a sponsorship deal with a sponsor who I'm still working with. And I absolutely love the product they have. It's a, uh, it's a product in the financial services industry who paid me $4,000 for two TikTok posts. I'm allowed to disclose because I'm being kind of general in, in who yeah. they are. I was um, about to ask you, I was going to say, who is it? I don't care if you promote right here, but now you've done that. So mm-hmm. it's okay if you don't want to, that's totally fine. But I get it. That's, that's amazing. And that was a great amount of income and a, accompanied with a few affiliate links that I had, it was enough to match my W-2 income that month. Mm. Um, of course, not accounting for taxes, but that wasn't part of the agreement. So <laughs> I was going to say, your wife allowed you to, was there a loophole of you only had to do it for 30 days? Like that was the period of time you had to match your income. You had to have one huge month so you could leave. That was, yeah, it kind of went like that. But the expectation was that I would be able to renew these contracts or at least get other contracts uh, of similar size or more, which has happened. And that's really allowed me to justify it in her eyes. Totally. And last month was was an incredible month. She's like so happy. She's ecstatic that I took the risk and that I kind of like pushed her to let me leave um, my my W-2 for just real estate and and social media income. But it's important to consider like, even if, the listeners don't have social media to fall back on. If you have real estate to fall back on, that's like a double safety net because I had my W-2 job. I had my social media income that month and I also had real estate. So if the first two weren't making me anything, if I left my W-2 job and if one month I didn't have any social media income, the real estate was still supporting us and she's also working at the same time as well. So we were like all bases covered, um, super safe, and that's what allowed me to like take that one good month and kind of extrapolate a little bit yeah. into uh, potential future money. I like that. I, I like that because I, you know, a lot of times on on social media you hear this, uh, but in in other venues too, where it's real sexy to say burn the boats, like just dive in, don't have a plan B because you'll always fall back. Like that's all fine, but the reality is there are people whose spouses will flip out. Right? It's going to hurt marriages for for you to do that. So having an actual plan that is has a conservative component to it or having an actual plan that you know doesn't just wreck you if you don't if you don't succeed immediately is really really smart um let me ask you though when you were doing youtube and and tiktok and everything when you had your w2 job how concerned if at all were you that that was going to be a conflict for them or that there was going to be any blowback Were, were you afraid of that at all or were you just like i'm i'm doing this i don't care anybody thinks I honestly didn't have the social media following to like ever get found out by my okay. employer or my <laughs> boss or my coworkers. I, I, my content really sucked. I had like no followers. So I was not concerned about that at all. And of course, being in accounting, there is a lot of things that I have to keep private about my life, about yeah. my clients who I'm working on. Of course, I can't disclose any of that. Sure. And that was never an issue. I didn't, sure. um, you know, make any kind of vlogging content. So I didn't really see that as an issue, but I knew that if I didn't fully pursue it, if I didn't like at least give it my best shot, it would be something that I'd continue to regret for years on because I knew that accounting wasn't like my my destiny. I knew that that wasn't my end goal in life is to be an accountant. Yeah. And this isn't, you know, guys, if you're listening to this, this is not a social media how-to podcast. But however, let me say this because I have a couple questions about this. You know, I'm a I'm a fan and a follower of Gary Vaynerchuk. I think he's pretty pretty incredible guy. And he he made he's pretty famously said that this thing 
You know, right? This thing is basically the television of our time. It's you can you can avoid it. You can say social media is stupid, whatever you want to say, but it's here to stay. And I know a lot of real estate investors. I mean, a lot of real estate investors that are trying to figure out TikTok or Instagram and YouTube. They're doing it, maybe not doing it really, really well because they want to use that to leverage uh, to be a little bit more successful in their real estate game, to find investors, to find partners, whatever it is, right? So you've said it a couple times now, your content sucked just several months back, right? Like in 2020, you you didn't have the best content and the most following in the world. And so what, what changed? What happened that allowed you or got you to having content that sucks to content that people are consuming in, in huge numbers? A completely honest answer from, from someone who's made this mistake many times over the years and, and continues to make it still is I didn't spend enough money. I didn't give it my full attention. I had the resources. I had the ability to buy a nice camera, to buy a nice lens, to, to care about my audio equipment, but I didn't buy a legitimate microphone until I was like a year and I think three months into it. Okay. And then I could justify $80 for a microphone. And up until then, all my videos, like the, the audio was terrible. It was like tons of echo and it was coming from the camera. I, I know that people that don't create content won't know about this, but I'm just trying to relate it to something that they might be able to understand is if, if you're trying to make something happen without actually committing to it, without spending the $80 it takes to improve the, the video quality by, by 150%, like you gotta, you gotta fix some of the other things. And totally. I know that that might come from me being an immigrant and me being kind of cheap and not wanting to invest if I don't have to. But I think that there are many times where I came across this, where I wasn't ready to go all in. I wasn't ready to spend a little bit of money. I wasn't ready to invest into something that I knew could improve me. And that's really what ended up holding me back for the longest time. Well, so yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. It came, in my particular situation, it came to me going on a shopping spree and I spent like $5,000 on all the nicest equipment. And then that weekend, my videos were like hundreds of times better. And and since then, I've been able to continue kind of like making better content. So when you say your content sucked, you mean the quality of the output sucked, not necessarily the content or, or I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I mean, right, it sounds like you upgraded right. your game in terms of audio video, but you continue to put out the content you loved. I, and my content wasn't that great before either because I knew that the the equipment that I was using was really bad. So if I'm filming with a bad camera, if I'm filming with poor audio, it's like, what's the point in editing it? It yeah. sucks anyways. Yeah. It's like, just send it out there. And so I ended up producing pretty poor content. Once I started taking myself seriously in one respect as to the gear that I was using mm. and the quality at which I was actually able to put out content, I leveled up everything else too. I got a better studio. I got way better editing. I actually hired an editor and and I just took everything a lot more seriously once I made that investment. It was yeah. like a mental switch that I had to. I do. like that. And, and guys, if you're thinking about like, hey, I don't want a YouTube channel. I don't really care. This part's boring. Here's the deal. You do uh, testimonials with people. You do put up, provide content. A lot of us as real estate investors have a website where we have some sort of an introduction video or some sort of video that we're creating on our website. So it doesn't have to be social media. If you're creating content, video, audio content of any kind, I think the lesson here is like up your game a little bit, like take it seriously. And I think it's interesting that you say like the audio stayed bad for like a year and a half. I've heard, and I don't know if you agree with this, you're kind of, you're, you're an expert in this field uh, for sure, but I've heard even in like a video setting, like a YouTube or whatever it is, 
like people will will suffer through a little bit of bad video, but they won't deal with bad audio. Like I've heard, like it's counterintuitive, but even on YouTube, audio, if you have to pick one to really fo- like have good audio because people will sit through work a little bit bad video more than they will bad audio. I don't know if that's true in your in your experience. I completely agree with that. And to relate this to more of the real estate investors listening to this, whether you're a realtor, whether you're a rental property manager, whether you're just... Um, uh, a, constru- a construction contractor, if you want to put yourself out there, it's only going to benefit you. And when you do so, you don't want to be doing it with the front-facing side of your phone or the, even the back-facing side of your phone when it's all super shaky. Yeah. If you spend like $50 on a phone gimbal and maybe $80 on one single light to go above your phone, you can walk through the entire property, have an extremely pr- uh, professional presentation for either as a listing agent or maybe a buyer's agent to show your buyer, whether you're trying to rent a property out or just showing your before and after on a flip to other potential investors, it's extremely powerful. And having a low quality product there is is really not doing yourself the service and a small investment spending a little bit of money can make you seem a whole lot professional. Uh, Couldn't agree more, very well said. So let's talk about why and how did you get into real estate? I think this was a couple of years back now we're talking, but what was, I know you read books, I, I get it. And they, and they said 90% of people who are, you know, rich are in real estate, but that a lot of people know that, like they've heard it, but what makes you, what made you, what got you to the point where you actually took action and started purchasing real estate? And how did you start that? Because you're, I don't know how old you are, but you're relatively young now. Um, so when you started this process, how did you take that first step? What was that first deal like for you and how did it all go down? So I am pretty young still. I was 22 when I bought my first duplex with an FHA loan. And what really got me into it was the understanding that I didn't need most of what many people think you need to start in real estate, which is a long employment history, which I didn't have because I was just out of college, a huge income, which I also didn't have because I was just out of college, or a lot of money saved up because I just got out of college. But I was able to find loan products. I was able to find strategies that allowed me to invest in real estate just by accumulating knowledge from other real estate investors without all of those things. So my first property ended up being an FHA backed property, um, FHA insured, which means I was able to get in the property with three and a half percent down showing my employment history as my education through college and also not needing a lot of money or a lot of credit to do so. Okay. What did you do about, and and I don't know if it needed renovation, but you put 3% down that's next to nothing. Did you have to renovate it? And how did you manage that? So $9,000 was like all of the money I had at the time, which is what I put down for that. Um, I had a little bit in reserves, but it it was really mostly my my retirement account. It it wasn't anything substantial either. I renovated slowly over uh, a couple of weeks, just scraping together the money that I could, also putting some on the credit cards that I had. um, And I really tried to leverage as much as I could of what what I knew about credit cards at the time and loan products at the time to make this process as little money as possible. And I did end up renovating a little bit. It was mostly good to go, good for renters to move in. But the couple of upgrades that I made, replacing the carpet, getting the interior painted, just kind of elevated the property to make it really easy for me to rent out. So I was worried that I wouldn't get any renters with my first property. Yeah. So let's tell everybody too, because we didn't really mention this, where, where do you live? Where did you do this? 
Good question. I did this in a place called North Pole, Alaska. <laughs> I'm currently living in Alaska, but the, the town, the city that I bought my first property in was called North Pole, Alaska. That's and it's not like in the North Pole, but it is right. really cold out there. Wow. So you're in Alaska. So when people say, well, I'm not in a hot market, I don't know if Alaska might be hot, but the tradi- what people think of as hot markets, right? Like I'm not in a hot market. I can't do it. So you're in Alaska. What's the real estate like in, in Alaska? And by the way, why did you get a duplex? Why not, why not a single family home? Like what was the thought process behind the duplex? Well, I wanted to invest uh, with my duplex and there are plenty of multifamily properties in Alaska, tons of single family homes too, but it's not like a huge high rise city. We don't have a bunch of condos. We don't have tons of apartment buildings, uh, lots of small multifamilies in the residential size. So one to four units. And I just thought I might as well capitalize on that. I could have bought a first home for my wife and I, because we just got married, which would have been really nice. And she would have loved that. But I was able to explain to her the uh, the budgets and showing her how much money we could potentially make if we invested in a real estate asset instead, um, and essentially ended up wiping out our entire rent. We were living in this uh, apartment or a part of the duplex that was going for rent for $1,500 and we didn't have to pay anything. Yeah. Our mortgage was covered by the people living next door and it saved us like 30, 40% of our monthly living expenses, yeah. which was insane at the time. That's huge. So you, you kind of house hacked it a little bit. You lived in part of it Absolutely. and renovated the other part. When you were done renovating and renting out the first half, did you guys move out or did you stay in that, in that other half? We stayed there for quite a while. We renovated it for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually ended up buying a couple other properties before we ended up moving out. And those other properties were purchased with uh, a little bit more creative financing than I used on that first one. All right, let's hear about it. You, you've you've kind of, you've got us excited. What was the other, what were the other creative financing options? So the first house was purchased with three and a half percent down. I tried to kind of level it up and take it to the next level with the next couple of properties. And I used um, more flexible lenders, uh, hard money, not hard money lenders, but private lenders, people that portfolio lend uh, credit unions to purchase my other properties with zero dollars down because I was still right out of college. I still didn't have much money. I was saving a lot more because I didn't have that monthly living expense anymore. And I was yeah. saving a lot of money, but I, I knew that I could do it with low money down. And so I wanted to really push that boundary and see how low money down I could take. So you found it. It credit unions, zero. You, you found credit unions in small banks. Did you say who would loan with no money down zero? Right. So it was 100% financed. And this isn't like a a big bank that's able to do this. It really does require flexible lenders. Mm -hmm. But what I was able to convince them of is a property that I found for um, maybe $130,000 that I was able to negotiate down to $130,000, but was appraised at $150,000. I would be able to buy using that spread between the purchase price and what the property's actually worth mm-hmm. as my down payment rather than having to pay that down payment myself. Wow, that's amazing. And then from that point, they give it to you with nothing down. They, they, they um, lend on it with nothing down. What about renovations? Did you end up having to do those? I did some renovations on those properties that I had no money down in. And that was the great part because I didn't need to put any money down. I still had that money on the sidelines to be able to invest it in a different way, which is renovating the property. Um, I was able to increase the value even more. And then I could go about selling the property, which I did with one of them, or refinancing the properties, which I also did to be able to get all that money out. And then some to like essentially end up profiting 
from purchasing a house with zero dollars. That's amazing. It's amazing and it's so simple, right? Like the concept is simple and it drives me bonkers when I hear, and I hear this way too often, like, oh, I can't, I don't have any money. Like it takes a lot of money. Like, no, just like think about like, be creative a little bit, right? Go to these small banks and credit unions. By the way, the small banks and credit unions that Daniel's talking about do not exist solely in Alaska in, in, a, in a five square mile of where he lives. Like this is something people can do in other parts of the country for sure. And I've heard of other people doing this as well. It's all about, you know, just being creative in general, being someone who just won't not won't take no for an answer or won't accept not getting to where they want to go. Right. So, you know, there's this guy uh, named Eric Thomas. He's a professional, uh, like a motivational speaker. And he has this story about this mentor who brings his student to a lake and he, he takes him into the lake and he dunks him under the water and he holds him there for an extended period of time. He doesn't kill him, but he holds him there like pretty long. And when the student comes up, and he's gasping and choking. It's like, when you were underwater, what did what did you want more than anything in the world? And he's like, I wanted to breathe. And he's like, okay, when you approach your goals or building a business or whatever it is, like you just now felt when you wanted to breathe, if you want it that bad, you'll, you'll get there, right? So I'm not saying you like felt like you couldn't breathe, but you didn't just say, well, I don't have a lot of money. I just graduated college. I have $9,000. I can't, I can't buy a duplex. Like I can't do it. Right. You just, you figure it out. And this is one way to do it for sure. These credit unions, the small banks that have flexible lending terms, like go and ask, like go and start that process. I think that's awesome, man. And you, you read, by the way, I'm going to go back for a minute. You read 50 books in a year or in six months? In six months. Okay. 50 so it was books. a very ambitious goal that I didn't honestly expect to hit. Yeah. But once I once I started going, it was easier to keep going than to stop. All right. And I don't think there's I don't think it's a coincidence that you're the kind of person who would set a goal like that and then y- you also have success. But let me ask you, in those fifty books, are there one or two or three that stand out as ones that you would highly recommend that actually had an impact on what you're doing? To be completely honest, I think the books about mindset had the biggest impact on me because I thought about giving up many times. And just yeah. like the the analogy that you used is perfect. Uh, I felt like my head kind of was underwater because I wanted to do all these things and I was extremely ambitious and I had this entrepreneurial drive to do something, but I didn't have any of the resources. And I really did need the motivation at the time to be able to keep looking, uh, keep searching for a way that I could accomplish my goals with the few resources that I had. And so one of those was um, a book uh, published by Bigger Pockets. It was uh, Buying Real Estate with No and Low Money Down. Another one was uh, another book written by Brandon Turner about buying a 26-unit apartment complex uh, with almost no money. And those books just like completely opened my mind to uh, someone who, someone else who doesn't have many resources. He didn't have much money, like no credits, no work history, yeah. and they were still able to invest in real estate. And once I understood that if there's a will, there's a way, like I, I just felt like I needed to find the way because there probably was one. Yeah. And lucky enough, I was able to to find that with uh, some of the flexible lenders that I talked to. Totally. And those are great books. We'll, we'll link to those in the show notes as well. Brandon, you know, I, I consider that guy a friend. He's a, he's a great guy and those are great books. So I definitely want you guys to go check those out. Okay. So what, what if, and I assume you're, you seem like an ambitious guy. You just said you have ambition. What was your goal when you started in real estate? What was your goal? Like what, 
it sounds like it's kind of more of a buy and hold strategy. I don't hear a lot of wholesaling or flipping in that too much. One one of them you kind of flip, but what was your goal then when you started? And then once you talk about that, I want to know what your goals are now for real estate. That's a great question. I started out having the goal to buy tons of rental properties. I think the number that I calculated was like 46 in my market. Okay. And 46 would get me to the, the passive income level to where it would greatly outpace my accounting job. And I would just be able to sit back and collect the profits from the, uh, the rental properties that I had. Yeah. But once I started buying into them, I realized that my mindset at the time when I made that goal was really limited by what I knew about real estate. Yeah. So once I, once I read more about real estate, once I actually started doing it, of course, like almost everyone who does this, my goal shifted. Yeah. And what I actually found from that flip and from the refinances was that I could get paid money in huge, large lump sums, potentially tax-free in many cases it was, just for buying a property with low money down and then somehow liquidating that equity. So almost like a wholesale, but I'm the only person in, involved in the transaction. Yeah. Um, the flip was one example of that. The, uh, the refinance where I just bought far under market value, got it reappraised after a couple thousand dollars with repairs at a much higher valuation, and then was able to extract the rest was a much better option. Because yeah. I get to keep the asset in many of the cases, I get to keep the cash flow, and I also get to have a huge chunk of money to either go on vacation with, probably buy another property with, or really do whatever else I want with. Yeah, it's so funny, man. There is a similarity there because when I started in real estate, if you would have told me what I was doing now, I would have been like, mind blown, way beyond what I wanted to do. But once you kind of, you know, that, that saying where you can see for a mile and then when you walk a mile, you can see for another mile. Like you you just, once you start doing it, you it. realize maybe how small you were thinking or how limited your mindset was because you just didn't know, right? So now you know, and it's like, it's yeah. hard to not have more ambition when you know. The only thing I knew at the time is buy and hold. I, I didn't really understand how much you could make from all these other strategies. Yeah. So buy and hold is what I try to do. But I think that, you know, if I had never at least gotten started with buy and hold, I wouldn't have ever discovered these. So I, yeah. I love that saying. Yeah. You can only see a mile at a time, but you can always keep going. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about a little bit more um, tactical stuff just for a minute. How are you finding properties now? What, what is your mode for, for finding? And by the way, I should ask you this. First. I don't want to make too many assumptions. Are you are you like focused and active in real estate? Because I know you have a huge social media business that you're also running to. It's huge. It's blowing up. It's giving you lots of opportunities. I get that. How much are you focusing on real estate realistically? And how much are you kind of like, that was great. And it got me and I'll be kind of on the side. I'll be doing it a little bit here and there, but I'm not really focused. Like what's your focus right now? Definitely the latter of those two. Um, I definitely still spend time uh, doing my my real estate property management investing, um, but really that's about five hours a month. Okay, and I'm still getting all that same cash flow as I was before. It's sure. just very systematized, a lot of processes, and I'm not pushing really hard for deal acquisition okay. as I would be if I didn't have social media. Yeah. That being said, I am looking for more properties, but I'm looking for slightly different properties. Again, where my strategy is kind of shifted now that I understand more and now that my income sources have changed. I previously was looking for very high cash flowing properties. The higher the cash flow, the better, because it was like going to get me towards retirement sure. quicker. Yep. But 
once I had enough cash flow, I realized that these hash, high cash flowing properties were a real pain to deal with. They're like <laughs> C class, D class properties. The tenants yeah. always ruin them. And like, sure, I make a lot of money, but it's a lot of emotional stress, especially on my wife, who also sees these texts and emails coming through. And it's really not worth it. So now that we have the luxury to, we're kind of changing our strategy, removing some of that risk, removing some of that emotional uh, strain mm -hmm. and having uh, A and B plus like class category yeah. uh, properties where they're working professionals that are renting these out from us. We don't have any maintenance because the properties are new yeah. and there really are no maintenance requests or potentially we're even considering getting a property manager to uh, handle all of it ourselves. Yeah, I I'm actively looking, but I'm not like actively trying to, to move the needle. Yeah, for sure. And by the way, for the record, property management, I think is the way to go. <laughs> I don't care if you, honestly, this is not with the way a lot of people think about it, but I value my time and my sanity more than I do making an extra buck. So uh, I did not get property managers on my first couple of properties, but after like having two or three, I'm like, screw it, I'm getting property management. I want somebody else to deal with these calls. But I will say for the record, for, for those of you listening, what Daniel's talking about with these high, like high, high cash flow properties, usually rental properties, buy and hold properties, I look at it and the way I think of it is it's kind of like the scale. On one end of the scale, you have high cash flow, maximum cash flow. And usually on that end, you have minimal to no appreciation possibility. And on the other end of the scale, you have pretty good appreciation and value and holding its value and the, and the real chance for appreciation and a lot less better clientele, I guess I could say, but usually the cash flow is not as significant, right? Um, less headaches probably will be worth a lot more in the future, not dramatic cash flow. And then, you know, somebody, people usually fall somewhere in the middle. Um, so if you're thinking cash flow is everything and it's the end all be all, to Daniel's point, be ready for there to be tenant issues, for there to be issues with the property itself, neighborhood issues. Like those are the things you're going to deal with if you want to take that risk and get the high. And I have some properties that are kind of high cash flow because that was my thought too originally, high cash flow. And I probably skew more toward the middle. I, I think I got to I kind of ride the fence between maximum cash flow and maximum like appreciation and stability. So you just it's kind of like where you know where you want to be, what your strategy is. But I, I totally hear you. And I think a lot, I know a lot of people that go from that high cash flow to like more the other end of the scale where it's like better tenants and less headaches and all that kind of stuff. So I told, and, and by the way, if you're going to hold them long-term, that other end of the scale where you have less headaches and better tenants also means the property, if you're going to hold it for, you know, decades or a decade, you're, the value of the property is probably going to go up a lot more um, predictably than the other end of the scale. And that's exactly the shift that I'm trying to make as well now too. Now that I don't rely so much on the uh, rental property income to manage my lifestyle because I do have social media and, and income generated through there, I'm ready to level up my properties, reduce the risk on myself, reduce the emotional strain and have it also be more passive. I still definitely believe in real estate as a vehicle of investment because sure. you can buy a property and instantly increase your net worth by 20, 30 or $40,000, you know, yep. crazy amounts of money. And over a decade, you're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars of wealth created, which is very much unlike the stock markets because you naturally have so much leverage in real estate. Yep. But I'm moving away from that aspect of being a very active rental property manager with C and D class units, which previously were funding my lifestyle. Yep, completely. So let's, I want to talk a little bit about like the scope of what you've done. So 
I believe you had a, a kind of an aggressive goal or an aggressive outlook on what you want to do in real estate. How much real estate have you been able to accumulate in a short amount of time at a, at a pretty young age? So when I was 22, I, I got my, no, I think I turned 23 by the time I bought my second property. But at that point, I was about at half a million um, in, in total assets. Um, by the time that I was well, I'm 24 now, and we ended up getting to 1.5 million was our peak. We ended up selling one of those properties. I think we're at like one point. No, I still think we're at like 1.4 now. And okay. we're looking at another acquisition. Um, those are based off of previous appraisals. We currently have a property that is listed on the market with, with an offer in my email for like 150000 more than that. Our market has appreciated a lot. Yeah. So if I was to use like current valuations, it might be closer to the $2 million mark, but you know, you, yeah. do, you never really know until you sell them or you yeah. refinance them and get that appraisal in. Yeah, 100%. But the point I wanted to make was from 22 to 24, basically, you went from, you know, half a million dollars in, in, in uh, what, you, what you owned in real estate to upwards of 2 million, depending on the valuation currently, right? So again, guys, duh, it's not impossible. Like you can do it. Daniel's a smart guy, no doubt about it, but that's not why he's successful because he has a degree. It's because he won't be denied. He will find a way. Oh, he'll, you know, mind over matter. He will get it done. He'll figure out a way to get it done. You can too. Like what he did, what he did in real estate, you did it for a couple of years and now that's not your primary focus. And it's like people, people stress out and like prepare to prepare for years. I, I even did it. So I'm pointing the finger at myself. I spent a number of years like thinking about real estate, planning and thinking, oh, it's hard and I got to really take my time. I wasted time completely. And I think a lot of people spend their life wasting time. You're 24 and you've done something that I, I personally know people who are 54 and they wanted to do their whole life and haven't done it. Like, so how did Daniel do it by 24? It's not the degree, although he's smart, clearly. It's the fact that he did it. He just did it, right? Contemplation versus execution. He didn't contemplate it forever. He executed. So um, 50 books in six months is huge. I don't think you have to do that, but I think being educated is important. And he just gave you like the cliff notes on a couple of books that he read and, and, and suggested some. So just go get those, like just follow on the footpath. I'm a big fan of using other people's hindsight as my foresight. And if I can find people who are smart and have done things that I want to do and just Tell me, we kind of did this before we got on the air. I even did it. Like, I want to use your hindsight and look back at what you did and just use that as my foresight. And I should be able to accomplish the same things even faster, potentially, if I'm if I'm using the playbook of someone who's already done it. So, Daniel, man, I, we could talk for hours. I, I really enjoy talking to you. You seem like a very cool guy. Uh, like I said, just your success over the last couple, I'll just say the last couple of years to be totally fair. I know there was kind of an explosion in social media, but the fact of the matter is you've been grinding now for a while, trying to get this done and trying to get some things in place. And you deserve all the credit in the world. I could not be happier for you. Uh, I'm going to continue to follow you because I think you're really, not only are you smart guy, you're fun to follow. You have good information. And by the way, you guys should check out his TikTok and, and I'll put the, the links down there. Um, uh, but why don't we talk about, I know you have something to give to the audience too, something that you wanted to give to them for free. So why don't you talk about that? I do. And thanks for the audience that's still listening to the very end of the podcast. I appreciate you guys sitting through this, even though it may not have been quite as real estate focused as some of these other ones. But I did want to leave you guys with a couple of digital goodie bags. Since we were on the topic of books, I do have a free book list, my recommendation of books. I think it's just 10 or 12 short books that I think can really 
level you up and really exponentially get you on the right path. Um, if you're looking for just a few books to read rather than the whole 50, these are the books that I'd recommend. I also have a free credits toolkit. Both of these are completely free and it's just a list of resources that I use weekly or even daily to plan my flights with credit cards. I, I travel for free. I have a few other credit card tools if you're looking to get into credits and kind of structuring your personal finances to be able to use some creative lending like I was able to for my properties. I also have a few real estate specific things, loan calculators, and a bunch of other goodies that you guys can explore all nice. on my website. That's danieliles.com, D-A-N-I-E-L-I-L-E-S.com. Nice. Guys, go check it out. It's free. You can't beat that. And uh, that's stuff that you definitely need. So I'm going to go check it out myself. Daniel, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being on here. I appreciate it. Like I said, I'm going to continue to follow you. You're a ton of fun, smart guy, and I can't wait to see what you do next. So thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me on, Mike. It was an honor. All right, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. That was a lot of fun. Daniel's a good dude. He's uh, just like super young and aggressive and going for it. He's done some great things in real estate. And I think you're going to see a lot more of him in the coming years. Uh, he is creating quite a big personal brand. And uh, I heard him on Bigger Pockets and I just thought this guy is a lot of fun. He's got some great insight and a good perspective on things. So I wanted to bring him to you so that you all could learn and enjoy and, and really get something out of that. So I hope you did. I really enjoyed an interview him. He's a fun guy, like I said. Uh, really, really smart. Really, really bright kid. So loved talking to him. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And if you take one lesson away from that, it's, man, go out there and go for it in a big way. He exploded into real estate at a young age and really blew it up fast. He's now exploding into social media and becoming quite a celebrity in that arena. And it just starts with going for it. Like, putting your chips down on the table and betting on yourself and going for it. And that's what I want you to do. That's what I want you to learn from these kind of interviews. He's a very young guy. He has more success in hit at his age than a lot of people significantly older than him because he's putting in the effort and the time and taking the calculated risks to get it done. Are you doing the same thing? If not, get out there and do it. Make today that you change everything for the better. Okay, we'll talk to you next time. Okay, you're still there. You're still listening. That's awesome. And I really appreciate that. Now, hopefully it wasn't an accident. Hopefully you didn't leave the room and I'm just talking to an empty room right now. But assuming you're still there, I want to do something really, really cool for you. For a limited time, I want to give you a free digital download of my book, the entire book, level jumping. If you're a listener to the show, you know it just came out and it really details how I took my business from being like one where I was just doing a few deals a month, maybe one or two deals a month to doing over 10 and sometimes 15 deals a month and over a hundred a year. And I went from doing very little profit to over a million dollars in profit. And I made that transformation in a 12 month period. And this book talks about what I did, the steps I took to transform my business and how you can too. So grab a free digital download and you can get that by texting the words just start as two words now just start to the number five five four four 
4. So text just start to 55444. I will send you a free digital download of my book. It's the complete book. There's nothing held back and that'll be completely yours just for making it to the end of the show and listening to me and I really really appreciate it guys. So I want to do something nice for you. I do this every once in a while at the end of shows and if you listen to the very end every once in a while I do a giveaway like this. So hopefully you enjoy that. Go grab a free copy. I hope you read it. I hope you love it. Reach out, let me know what you think. All right guys, talk to you next time.